thankful for this precious opportunity God's given us to meet together here in his house. And uh, we have many this morning that are actually in the parking lot. Uh, they're not in the building with us, but they are here with us at Union Grove Primitive Baptist Church, worshiping and praising the Lord. Um, to give them just an opportunity to, uh, to participate, let everybody know they're here, and for everyone on the inside to be encouraged. It's an encouragement for us to know that we're all together here worshiping the Lord. How about everyone on the outside just, just blowing your horn for us, letting you, us know you're here? How about that? <laughs> We love you very much and uh, very thankful for everyone that's come to the house of God today to worship the Lord. It's good to see each one of you. Very much appreciate the prayer that was prayed by our brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd ask that each one of you would pray for us as we stand before you. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Chapter 25. Several weeks ago, we... We referenced a verse of scripture in the book of Job. It's in chapter 22 and verse 21 when Eliphaz the Temanite speaks to Job. And even though the words do not have a direct application with Job, they, they're words of truth that actually are words of exhortation for us all. When Eliphaz says, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Eliphaz is exhorting Job and it should be an exhortation to us all to know more about the Lord. And the more we know about him, the more peace we'll have in our lives. He's, he's the prince of peace. He's the source of peace. And he's the only one that's able to give us peace in a, in a troubled world. Several weeks ago, we looked at uh, some portions of scripture and uh, considered the Lord, who is the promised son that came into the world. We also looked at the Lord as the substitutionary sacrifice, the substitutionary lamb that took our place on the cross of Calvary. We looked at the Lord as the perfect servant of the Father in Exodus 21, the, uh, the beloved husband of the bride. If God would be our helper this morning, I'd like for us to consider the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. Let's begin by reading Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5. Through verse 10. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead in his name, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth. To raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him 
in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. I think I mentioned this a few Sundays ago, but it's, it's worth saying again. When God gave the law to Moses, when he was on Mount Sinai, if you recall, Moses was there 40 days and 40 nights. The law was given to Moses that was given to the children of Israel in, in three contexts. God gave Moses the moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. God took his finger and wrote on tables of stone and gave that to Moses. And If you recall, God did that twice. God did it once, and when Moses came down from the mount and saw the children worshiping the golden calf, he broke, broke the tables of the law. And God gave it to him the second time, and the second time they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant to keep. Now, there's an entire sermon in that, and that God gave man the law, and man broke the law. God gave it again to what the Ark of the Covenant represented. It's Jesus Christ, and he kept it. He kept it for us. That's God's moral law. God's moral law still stands. The wicked one day will be judged out of the book. That's God's law and God will have their books, every work in their life and it will be measured by that, that by that moral law. Now the law, that moral law can, cannot condemn the children of God before the Father because Jesus Christ kept the law for us and suffered in our room instead the consequence of us breaking the law. Another context in which the law was given was the ceremonial law. If you recall in the book of Leviticus, we read of the ins and outs of the sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood and what they would do and all the ceremonies of the service of the Old Covenant that they had, that Old Covenant of service. Now that portion of the law was... It's past. What we have now in the church is a new covenant of service is what we have. See, God, there's only one eternal covenant. But there's two covenants of service in the Bible. You've got the old covenant of service and the new covenant of service. This here, this is the church, the church. See, we no longer offer goats on an altar. We no longer kill birds. We offer ourselves a living sacrifice, and we are spiritual. We're spiritual servants in serving the Lord as, as stones and, and priests and kings unto God as we've been made that by, by our Savior. Another context of the law that God gave to Moses was, was civil law. God gave Moses a context of the law that's referred to as civil law. That, of course, is my terminology, and I think it's terminology to fit this context here in Deuteronomy 25, and those laws were how they should interact and go in and out with, with one another. You know, there in Exodus 21, that law of the servant, that, that was a civil law that was given. That law of the jealous husband, that's just a civil law. And they had many civil laws, even concerning beasts and, and the deaths of people in, within their society and what would happen. God gave them, them civil law. This, 
This, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, which was the law of the kinsman redeemer, falls under the context of, of civil law with the children of Israel. And, you know, if we're just blessed to read this and take it as something in history that happened, you know, we're blessed just, just to be able to read the Word of God. And we're blessed to understand that these were actual events that took place. See, the Bible is, is not like a fairy tale book that you go into a doctor's office and, and read. I remember uh, when I was a child, my mama used to take me to Dr. Hicks and Dr. Lumpston there in Clarksville, Georgia. That was my doctor. And it was a big rock building, and I knew as soon as I went in, I was going to get a shot. That's what you got. When you was a kid, you got sick. You went and got a shot, and you, you got better. Uh, but I remember I'd go in, and we were all worried about getting the shot. They'd have little kids' books there for us to read to keep us all calm, you know, so the screaming wouldn't start till we got in the home back there with the doctor. And I can remember picking up some of those books and reading them. There were some good little stories in there, but, you know, there's a lot of things said in there that wouldn't, wasn't hardly matching up to what the Bible said. The reason is people, you know, they'll make up little stories sometimes, and they'll write stories, and they're good to read, and it can be a lot of fun. This that happened here in Deuteronomy chapter 25 is just not some story someone made up, okay? These events really took place. If you remember in the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel went to the land of Canaan, the land was, was divided. It was divided of inheritance. And all the people that were there had specific inheritance and lots that, that they, would, they would have. Well, if there's a situation where a man, his family had a lot and he died, well, there's chance he could lose that inheritance, right? His name would be lost in Israel and that land would be lost to that family where there would be provisions made that that inheritance and that name would not be lost. And this is one of the, the provisions. If you recall, it was the Sadducees that came to the Lord, I think in Matthew 22 and in Luke chapter 20. They came to the Lord and they spoke of a woman that had a husband and her husband died and her brother married her. And Tucker, he's referring to this law and it finally got to the seventh one. They all died and they asked, you know, who's Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Which was not a question asked in, in wisdom because Jesus said in the resurrection we're neither married nor given in marriage. See, God gave us marriage for here on earth. You know, when we get to heaven, I mean, I love my wife more than any sister here in the church this morning, and I should. When we get to heaven, I'm going to love all the sisters alike because the love we'll have in the Lord Jesus Christ will supersede and be greater than any relation love, marriage love that we have here in this, this world. But when they were talking there, the Sadducees to the Lord, about the one taking his brother's wife, it was referring to, to this law. Now when you think about this law, just being in a historical his context of history, it's a blessing to be able to read it. But when we read the Old Testament, not only should we consider it to be a great lesson of history and a great practical lesson in how the Lord gave commandments we should also be reading things like this, looking for the Lord in, in all, all these. Uh, if you recall in John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, search the scriptures. What scriptures did they have when Jesus said search them? They had the 39 books of the Old Testament. That's what they had. The New Testament was not complete when Jesus spoke those words in John chapter 5. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. See, the people that Jesus spoke to thought in their wisdom... And the oracles they had, it made them a special people. And it did in light and understanding, but not in eternal context. See, light and understanding does not make us children of God. Light and understanding is a blessing for the children of God here on this earth. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, 
But Jesus said, but they are they which testify of me. What does Jesus say? Those 39 books you have, that Old Testament, is a continual testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read things like this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, not only do I see it being a context of accurate history, this happened, but I also see the Lord in this. I see the Lord. And you, you would ask, well, how do you see the Lord? You may not believe this, but there was, there was a time in my life, and I say this with caution because I, I know I'm, I mean a lot to Sister Jennifer now, but I, I think it was a time in my life when it would appear that Sister Jennifer thought more of me than she does today. Not that she does, but it would appear that way. Why would you ask, Brother Ronnie? Because Sister Jennifer, there was a time that she had pictures of me on her refrigerator at her house. I'd go to her house and there'd be pictures of me there. There was a time when if you went to Sister Jennifer at any time, you'd, you'd say, uh, hey, do you have a picture of your boyfriend in your pocketbook? And she'd say, yeah. She'd pull out a picture of me. Matter of fact, she and I went on a date one time, and she had a picture of me in the dash of her car. <laughs> now, I felt special. Now, there was a time that that kind of began to change. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, at that time, I remember going to... North Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, and Jennifer's mama had a picture of me on her refrigerator. I remember that. But there was an event that took place, and it was October the 17th, 2005, and there's a young man that's here in the house today. His name is Joshua Benjamin. He was born. And my place kind of was reduced a little. <laughs> and after that, it was more, she had more pictures of Joshua. If you went to our house, it'd be pictures of Joshua. And then Sarah Beth was born. You have pictures of Joshua and Sarah. And you know, I like that. I, I love my wife loving our kids, and I love them too. I remember uh, Jennifer developed a blog page. It's called Buttermilk Sky, and it was all pictures of Joshua and Sarah Beth. And I thought, you know, she never done that for me. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. I, but if, if you're with me, there was a time that her attention changed. Now, let me ask you. Sister Jennifer's got these pictures, and she still does today, pictures of Joshua and Sarah Beth on, on the refrigerator. And we're going to concentrate just on Joshua here. On the refrigerator, in her, in her purse. And, and I'm sure at any time you can look on the Internet and find pictures of Joshua. Why, why did she do that? Why? Because she loves her son. She loves her children. Because she loves her children she has portraits of her children to show, and she wants to show everybody in the world, this, this, this is my son. Do you know when you consider God's family, do you know we're all sons of God? Did you know that? By the grace of God, we've all been made children of God. We're, we're all sons of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called what the sons of God. Do you know in Job chapter 38 and verse 4, the angels were called sons of God. They were created by the Lord and called sons of God. But you know, God's got one son that's a son like no other. See, that's what that means, only begotten son. Only begotten means a son like no other. Have you ever read Genesis chapter 22 about Abraham and Isaac? When God would tell Abraham to take thy son, thine only son. Well, Abraham had another son. Do you remember Ishmael? He was older than Isaac. 
But Isaac was a son like no other to Abraham. Jesus Christ is a son to the Father like no other. I'm not a son to the Father like Jesus is. The angels are not a son to the Father like Jesus is. Jesus is the only begotten, eternal Son of God. And because God the Father loves His Son, we have a portrait book of Jesus Christ. All the way through the Old Testament, over and over and over again, we have portraits, pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just one of those examples. If you go to Isaiah 53, you've got a portrait. You've got a portrait of that substitutionary lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to Exodus chapter 21, you've got a portrait of the perfect servant of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 5, you have a portrait of the loving husband of the bride. If you go to Psalms 23, you have a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd of Israel. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we have a beautiful portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kinsman, redeemer of his, his people. Now, my great-grandfather, he, uh, he was dead before I was, was born. Now, I've got some of his writings, and uh, I think I've got one of his old Bibles. But my dad came up under my great-grandpa. And my daddy told me something that great-grandpa told him when he was a young preacher. He said, every man in the pulpit should be taking the Word of God and painting a beautiful picture for the congregation so that when he's done, what they see is the Lord. And I'm hoping this morning the Lord will bless me to paint this portrait of our kinsman redeemer so that when I'm finished, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Now, there's five things I want us to notice about this law that will teach us something about the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. The first thing I want us to notice is for one to be the kinsman redeemer to fulfill the civil law, he must be a near kin. It's not a stranger. If you notice in verse 5, it's, it's not without unto a stranger. Mm -mm. He's got to be a near kin. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to tell you, before the world began, God loved his children. He loved his family with an unchanged, unchanging, unmerited love but that was not enough that we would have a home in heaven God loved us Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 God loved us, chose us, predestinated us to be in glory but his love even though that's the motivating force it's the motivating force of grace his love was not enough for us to be in heaven. That love required action. And because God loved us, His Son, eternal Son, Son like no other, took upon Himself perfect humanity and came into this world to be a near kin to us that he would offer unto the Father something we couldn't pay the price of the kinsman redeemer that we would have a home in glory. Do you realize God, if he just loved us, 
and Jesus does not come into the world, we're not going to heaven. It required action, and because it required action, God that loved us did this. He descended from his throne on high, from glory above, sitting. He came from that down to this earth to fulfill that that was needed for us to be in glory with him. Have you ever noticed over in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 through 17, which is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest? If you notice there in about verse 16, 17, for in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. What does that word behooved mean? When something is behooving, it means it's necessary. That's what it means. It was necessary that the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself perfect humanity. There was a time, and we can look in Scripture and find that time, that the very God of glory became a heartbeat in a virgin's womb. We can find that over in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, when she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And when that happened, that's not when the Lord began. That's just when he came into this world as a heartbeat in a virgin's womb. If you remember there in Ephesians chapter 4, and about verse 9, he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Now, when I was younger, I was taught in a Sunday school class that that's when Jesus died on the cross, and he went down to hell and preached to those in hell that they could change their mind and become children of God. But that's not what that text is saying at all. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are in hell, Jesus didn't die for them on the cross, and the Lord himself could preach to them, and they were not going to change their mind, okay? Wicked man is not going to change his mind of his own will and power. It took grace to come to us, and God loved us, and his grace came to us and saved us from our sins, and anyone that Jesus died for on the cross is not going to be in hell. Why? Because he paid, and there's nothing else left to be paid. He paid. But that text is referring to Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, that's always been, that always will be, the great I Am that has no beginning, that hath no end, descending to the lower parts of an earthen vessel of a virgin. And I want to prove that to you with a text that's found over in Psalms 139, if you turn there with me. Psalms 139, this is David speaking. And I've quoted this text many times, but it's good to, to read it with the congregation. David said in verse 13, he said, For thou hast possessed my reins. That's his internal organs. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Where is David? He's looking back to that time he's in his mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, that's out of the sight of men, and curiously wrought in the what? Lowest parts of the earth. Where is David? He's in his mother's womb. The Lord Jesus Christ, lower parts of the earth, in Ephesians he descended to, was the earthen vessel of the Virgin Mary. Now, I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, can you really conceive that? I cannot. I cannot conceive in my mind how one that's always been, that always will be, became a heartbeat in a virgin's womb. And you know, the Bible says it's a mystery. 
Now, I believe it because the Bible says it, and I've got something in my heart that agrees with the Bible. I believe it's so. I believe the eternal Son of God became man, is what he did. If you notice the text there in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, when sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, a body thou hast prepared for me. Mm-mm, that's not what it reads. A body thou prepared me, me, me. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man and came into the world of our viewing so we could touch him and we could handle him. Remember, John said we've touched him. We've handled him. And someone may say, well, Brother Ronnie, if, if I can't fully comprehend that, I don't know how I can believe that. Well, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things we can't fully comprehend that we believe. Like, I can't fully comprehend how I can bring one bag of groceries in the front door and take two bags of garbage out the back. I can't comprehend that, but I believe it. It happens all the time. I mean, I cannot fully comprehend everything about electricity. Now, Brother Ronnie Hagler is here with us this morning. He can tell you a lot more about electricity than I can. I don't comprehend it all, but I do know this. I believe if I stick my finger in that light socket, I'm going to get shocked. I believe that. Can't comprehend it all, but I believe that. I asked someone one time, they were talking to me about this subject, and they said it's difficult for us to believe that because we can't fully comprehend it. I asked them, I said, how much do you know about Pascal's Law in theory? How much do you know? They said, well, nothing. I said, Pascal's Law of Theory basically states when you've got anything within a confined space, any pressure applied to any point in that space will cause pressure undiminished throughout that space. Do you understand all that? Let me ask you, do you believe your brakes will work on your car when you push that pedal? A brake system on a car is based on Pascal's Law of Theory. I don't understand it all, but I believe my brakes will work when I push that pedal. There's something I believe that I don't fully comprehend. I don't fully comprehend how the Lord of glory that always has been became a heartbeat in a virgin's womb. I don't understand how the Lord of glory, who has no beginning, had a beginning at Bethlehem and walked here on this earth. But I believe it because the Bible teaches me so and jesus said himself for i came down from heaven how can you come down from heaven if you wasn't one time in heaven he said no man hath descended from heaven but the son of man that ascended to heaven he's the one that not only descended he's the one that ascended back to heaven we remember there in acts chapter one he went up with the clouds into glory and praise god that one that went up in the clouds one day is going to come back in the clouds and we will see him the eternal son of god took upon himself that perfect humanity. You know, I know this subject, I preach it a lot. And you know why I preach it a lot? It's under attack right now throughout the world. That Jesus Christ is, is not, not God. He is God. Jesus Christ is not, not God Jr. He's not God wannabe. He's not a good man that lived a life that was pleasing to God. No, he's the eternal Son of God that took upon himself perfect Humanity, And if we lose that doctrine, if we lose that, you're going to have to throw everything else out the window because we have nothing else that we can hold on to. I want, you, I want to tell you just how serious the Apostle John was concerning this subject. Turn with me to the second epistle, John. The second epistle, John, look how serious John is about this subject. He writes this letter, the second epistle, Unto the elect lady. Who is he referring to? He's referring to the church. Notice in verse 13. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. So John's writing this letter to one church. And the letter is coming from him from another church. 
notice what he said in verse 9. He said, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. What is he saying? If you're not going to believe that Jesus Christ is God, you can't believe God is God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. You understand they're both God. Verse 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, that bring not this doctrine that Jesus Christ is God and the Father is God, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. What house is that talking about? It's talking about this house, the church house. The letter was written from one church to another church, and John said, if anybody comes to your house, to the house of God, and they don't have this doctrine, you cannot receive it. You know, somebody says, we should just take anybody in the church. No, uh uh-uh. You can't receive someone in the church that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. It's our first article of faith, right? First one, number one. Now, do I think it's not good to receive someone... That teaches that doctrine into your home as a husband and wife. No, it's not good to receive me in your home. But we need to really maintain the house of God. You know, if someone that comes to my house that doesn't believe that, I mean, I'm not to long for fellowship with them. I cannot in a spiritual way. But if someone comes to this house and wants to be a part of this church, you cannot receive them. John was serious about this subject. Serious about the subject that Jesus Christ is God. Why? Because... If we lose that, we lose everything else. In order to be this kinsman redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, had to be a near kin. And he took upon himself perfect humanity that he would be our our near kin. But this one that's a near kin not only had to be a near kin, but he also had to be one that was able. He had to be able to perform the work of the kinsman redeemer. I mean, it took some substance to be able to do this. If, if there was a piece of land, a parcel that was with this one, it would be purchased. He had to have substance to be able to, to pay the bill, to purchase the price. And in order for Jesus Christ, who became our near kin, to be able to do it, he had to be perfect and without sin, without any fault whatsoever. You know the reason I can't redeem you? I'm at fault. I'm just in the same amount of trouble that you're in. I can't redeem you. I have nothing to offer to God. You know, God the Father owns all the cattle of a thousand hills and owns all the gold to offer. Everything that i got in this world actually belongs to God. He's just letting me have it for a little while. I've got a house down here on Caesarea Road that's really not mine. <laughs> I mean, I pay taxes on it, but it's not mine. It's God's. He just let me live in it for a while. i got a little family that's here today that I love very much. They belong to God. The life that I have belongs to God. He's the one that gave it. I don't have anything that doesn't belong to God. If I got eternal life in me, this mind, it was given to me by the Lord. Everything that I have belongs to Him. So if everything that I have already belongs to Him, what do I have to offer Him? Nothing. I have nothing. Now, if I'm in a fallen, sinful state, in a depraved state before the Father, how can I save myself? I cannot. But the one that loved us before the world began took upon himself perfect humanity and come into this world, and he is able, he is able. Remember Revelation chapter 5? Who is worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof? Who's going to do this? And they looked at heaven, looked on earth, 
could not find one, but they finally saw one. You know, that one that he saw was not one in heaven, not one on the earth, not one under the earth, but it was the one that hung between heaven and earth. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is able, he is able. John wept until one of the elders pointed to him. He is able. Why? He is perfect. He has that that would be acceptable to the Father. And the one that loved us so, that came into this world and became our near kin, he is able to offer unto the Father that that was required that we would be redeemed from our, our sins. Jesus did that. But not only did he have to be willing, this woman, able, he'd also have to be have to be willing to do so. If you recall, a little later in this passage, one would not be willing. Do you remember the days of Ruth? That one that was a nearer kin than Boaz, he wasn't able or willing, lest he would mar his, his, his inheritance. But not only is Jesus Christ our near kin, not only is he able, he's also willing. But Brother Ronnie, how do you know he's He's willing. No man could have touched him unless he would have suffered him to do so. Jesus was willing. Do you remember in John chapter 7 when he came there to that, uh, that feast and he looked at some in verse 19 and said, why do you go about to kill me? Well, who said we want to kill you? Isn't it amazing Jesus knew their thoughts and told them what their thoughts was, and yet they still denied it. You know, a carnal mind, you cannot give them enough evidence for them to believe the truth. You can't pound it in. Jesus said, why don't you go about to kill me? Here he is telling them their thoughts. The thoughts that they had to take his life. Oh, who said we want to go about to kill you? But you know, at that time, no man laid hands on him. Verse 30. You know what? Well, they couldn't get together enough, right? No. They got together enough. But they couldn't lay hands on him because his hour was not going to come. You go to John chapter 8. And I'll tell you, John chapter 8, Jesus spoke some of the hardest words that you will find in Scripture. Jesus looked at some in verse 21 through verse 23 of John chapter 8. And he said, you're from beneath and I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I go my way and you shall seek me. But whither I go... Ye cannot come. Jesus just told them they're not going to heaven. Jesus said he didn't have a way for them to go to heaven. Now, if someone in this world has got a way for them to go to heaven, they got something the Lord didn't have for them that day. They did not belong to him, those he spoke to directly. He would go a little further in that chapter and tell them in verse 45, Ye are of your father the devil. Now, is he saying the devil's their life giver? No, he's saying their life is being lived in imitation of the devil. You know, Bill Monroe, he's known as the father of bluegrass music. That's not saying he gave life to bluegrass music. It's just saying bluegrass was originated with Bill Monroe. These people that are of their father, the devil, they live like the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and they were a bunch of liars. And Jesus called them that. Now, don't you think that made people mad? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look at somebody and tell them, you know, you're, you're a real father, the devil. Oh, yeah, they got angry. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to gather together and just take the life out of him. You know, there in Luke chapter 4 when he spoke, they wanted to cast him headlong down a hill. But he just went right through their midst. John chapter 8, verse 20, no man laid hands on him as he spoke those words. You know why? His hour was not yet come. They couldn't touch him. Mm -mm. Could not touch the Lord. I go to where he was arrested. 
When they come to arrest him, they came with sticks and stabs. I mean, it was a mob that came in the night. This had nothing to do with Jewish law. This had nothing to do with anything legal. This was all illegal. Matter of fact, I remember years ago, I tried to preach a sermon on seven different illegal things they did in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cared nothing about law. All they wanted to do is kill him. They wanted him dead. And they come to kill him. They come to arrest him, lay hands on him. Remember, it was Peter that took out his sword and cut off the servant's ear. I think he's probably aiming for his head and just clipped the ear. He probably moved a little bit. And Jesus, he healed the man and put his ear back on. Told Peter to put his sword in his sheath. He had power to call down 12 legions of angels at that time. But if it be thus, how shall the scriptures be fulfilled? You remember it was Jesus when they come and he said, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am, I am he. If you look, that word he is in italics in your King James Bible. See, sometimes when you say one word in one language, it takes two words to say it in the English language. And the translators of the King James Bible understood language, and I believe they worked in, with the providence of God over them to give us an accurate translation. And this word has been preserved for us. That word, he, was added. Jesus, that sentence, I am he, is basically saying, I am the one. I am. I am him. I am, I am the great I am. That's what he's saying. And when he said that, you know what happened to them? They got angry? No, they all fell backwards like dominoes. Fell all over one another. You know why? They could not touch him unless he let them. And when he suffered, that's when they laid hands on him showing that he was willing. All that he suffered in the crucifixion, in his death, he was willing to do that. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Why did he do that? Why did he suffer that, Brother Ronnie? Because he loved you. That's why. And he came into this world to perform this work of the kinsman redeemer. So here our near kin that's able is willing to do this. But you know, for this one to do this, he had to go before the judges of the land. He would have to go before the elders. If you recall in the book of Ruth, it was Boaz. He would call the elders of the city together. This had to be done legally. It had to be done right. You know, if one was not willing to do this, then the woman would go to him. Before those elders, he's not going to do it. And she'd pluck off his shoe and she'd spit in his face right in front of everybody. You know why? Because he failed to do what he should do. Do you remember a statement that was made by John the Baptist about the Lord Jesus Christ of Whose shoe latched, I'm unworthy to loose. You remember that text? Go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And see if you recall this text. The Gospel of John, chapter, tw chapter 1, verse 27. Now they're asking John who he is. And John's going to confess, I'm not the Lord. But John is pointing them to the Lord. He said in verse 27, He it is... Who coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now John here in this text is referring to his smallness. Yes. I'm unworthy to unloose the latchet of his shoe. The Lord Jesus Christ. But it's actually a little deeper than that. What John is saying is this is him. That's the willing and able kinsman redeemer. And no one is able and worthy to unloose 
his shoe. But if one that was a near kin in this law, Deuteronomy 25, that was able, not willing, or willing and not able, or not willing or able, he would go before the judges, and that woman that he was supposed to perform this duty, she would spit in his face, pluck off his shoe, and he'd be known throughout Israel as the man with the loose shoe. Why? He would not do that that the law commanded him to do. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, who's able and willing, and John said, I'm not worthy to loose his shoe. If you remember, they stripped him. And they spit upon him. Well, Brother Ronnie, the law says if he was not willing and able that they would pluck his shoe and spit in his face. Why did they do that to Jesus? He is our kinsman redeemer. He is able and he is willing. Why did they spit on him and pluck off his shoe? Because Jesus come in the world and suffered my wrong and gave me his right. See, it was me, I should have been stripped. It is me, I should have been spit upon because I have failed God in every way, not kept his law, and stand in condemnation of him. But Jesus Christ came in the world who is the perfect kinsman redeemer, willing and able. He took the spit in the face, he took the stripping because he suffered my wrong and he gave me his, his right. Now, I want to go to the book of Ruth real quick. And don't you think about when Boaz went there to the gate of the city. And when he went there, Ruth didn't go with him. You remember? Was Ruth with him? Mm-mm, Ruth went with him. Why wasn't Ruth with him? This law says it should be the woman, right? The woman. If, so if that one that said, I can't do this, unless it mar my inheritance, Ruth was supposed to be there. To spit in his face and pluck his shoe. But no, Ruth wasn't there. Boaz went there. Boaz went there and got his shoe. Took him before the judges. What happened? What happened, Brother Ronnie? Man always waters down things to make himself look better. Man never wants to face the consequence of his fairness. And if you'll notice in the book of Ruth, that law was washed down so that that man would not suffer the embarrassment in front of everyone of being spit in the face and she being loose by, by Ruth. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, we live in a time today when man is not condemned for his wrongs, but he's almost glorified and took care of to make it look like he's a lot better than he is. You know, preaching today, I'll say it's called preaching today, glorifies man, but it doesn't glorify God. It takes man and puts him up on a higher pedestal than what he is, him being a depraved sinner without God. Well, he's not so bad. No, he's okay. You see how they wash down the law to make it look like man's not as bad as he is? But in Ruth's day, that's what happened. But the law says that that woman should come and pluck the shoe and spit in his face, and that man would be known as the man with the loose shoe throughout Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ, our near kinsman, fulfilled it all, willing, able, Near kin, John said, I'm not worthy, yet he suffered to be spit upon. He suffered to have his clothes stripped from him. And there he hung on the cross between heaven and earth, suffering my wrong, and he gave me his right. 
What does that mean? That means in heaven above, because the near kinsman has come and done this work, as this law was given, that there would not be a name lost in Israel. Read with me verse 6 one more time, Deuteronomy 25. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And because the Lord Jesus Christ, our near kinsman that became our kin, that was willing and able and fulfilled it all as our near kinsman, there shall not be a name lost in Israel. In God's Israel. Israel by grace. Do you realize how many Jesus is going to lose? None. That's how many he's going to lose. There's not going to be a name lost in all of his people. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose Nothing, not a name lost in Israel. John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus will give eternal life to as many as the Father hath given him. Not a name lost in Israel. God's people are saved because the kinsman redeemer has come into this world, fulfilled all that was required of him, was able, was willing, has done the work, has hung between heaven and earth and satisfied the only judge that mattered. You know, the only judge that mattered is, is God the Father. And if God the Father is satisfied in what Jesus did, there shall not be a name lost in Israel. What that's saying is every little child of God, from the first one to the last, a great multitude that's a number that no man can number because our kinsman redeemer has come in this world and satisfied the only judgment matter. No one will be lost, but we'll all be there in glory without the loss of one. Happy forever and ever and ever. You say, Brother Ronnie, I've sinned against God. You don't know all I've did. I've done a lot of wrong. There's no way, no way I could be one of his. I want to tell you, if you've got that worry, it's evidence you belong to him. You know, the wicked man is never worried about that. And I want to tell you, dear child of God, you feel like a sinner. You feel condemned in your heart because you're a born-again child of God. You will not be lost. The Bible teaches us in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, we're graven upon his hands. He's not going to forget you. We're there, and we're going to be there just as sure as Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. Everyone that he died for will be there in glory. And you'd say, well, Brother Ryan, things have been really bad for me right now. I don't know what's, what's going to be tomorrow or the next day. But, brothers and sisters, because the kinsman redeemer, think about the comfort of this, because the kinsman redeemer has fulfilled it all, one day we're all going to be all right in glory. And everything's going to be fine. Why? Because the kinsman redeemer has done it. I want us to read a text, and we're going to close with this text. It's found in the book of Ruth. This is when Boaz went up to the gate of the city. Ruth, she's really worried. I don't know how it's going to go. 
your Rufus, as long as Boaz would be your kinsman redeemer. And he was. But here's Naomi comforting Ruth in verse 18. She tells Ruth, she said, Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. He's not going to rest until he have finished the thing this day. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to stop until we're all with him in that house that he's built for us. Because he is our kinsman redeemer that's willing, that's able, that went before the only judge that mattered. And one day we're all going to be with him in that house because heaven, brothers and sisters, was not built in vain. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 45. Heaven was not built in vain. Heaven was not built by God. There'd be an empty space in heaven. Heaven was built for the family of God to be there with the Father one day and praise God because our kinsman redeemer has done the work, fulfilled it all. We will be there. I'm looking forward to just hugging his neck. Aren't you looking forward to hugging his neck? Don't you know Ruth when Boaz says, all right, we got it. Don't you know she hugged his neck? Just as Ruth hugged Boaz's neck, I'm looking forward to hugging Jesus' neck. My kinsman redeemer that has done this for us. May God richly bless us in our prayer. If there's anyone here today that would like to come forward, and ask for a home here at Union Grove, Friendly Baptist Church.